Well, good morning and happy Thursday to you. Here we are on this October 5th. I'm Adam Wright. You're listening to Roadmap to Heaven here on Covenant Network. Wow, we've got a lot of stuff to cover today. We've already had to make some cuts from the show just to make sure we could get all the important stuff in. So let's not waste any time. Let's go straight to prayer this morning. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. O Jesus, through the Immaculate Heart of Mary, I offer you my prayers, works, joys, and sufferings of this day for all the intentions of your Sacred Heart in union with the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass throughout the world in reparation for my sins, for the intentions of all my relatives and friends, and in particular for the intentions of the Holy Father. Amen. We dedicate all of our thoughts, words, and actions to the greater glory of God in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. It's a uh, kind of damp morning this morning. The, I guess it rained at some point. It might rain some more. Michael tell us all about that in a minute. But temperature's still pleasant, although I, I'm looking for my pullover. I've got to have it ready for these beautiful fall temperatures coming in this weekend. Speaking of this weekend, tomorrow is the first Friday of the month and Saturday's first Saturday. And we do have those devotions of going to Mass tomorrow, receiving Holy Communion, and then praying in reparation for sins against the Sacred Heart of our Lord. On Saturday, the Blessed Mother asks us to make our monthly confession. Uh, go to Mass, receive Holy Communion, pray the Rosary, and meditate for five or 15 minutes upon the mysteries of the Rosary. And it's also Rosary Coast to Coast on Saturday, plus it's the Feast of Our Lady of the Rosary. Uh, so some great things happening. And by the way, Rosary Coast to Coast, we ask you to join in that movement by praying the Glorious Mysteries at 3 p.m., wherever you are. If you can get a group together to pray it out in front of your church or at your church or out in front of your home, even on your front porch, Great. Go to rosarycoasttocoast.com and register that group. But whatever you do, uh, that's what we're asking on Saturday. So for our radio listeners this morning, we are going to start the day off hearing about the Immaculate Heart of Mary and the tears of our Lord. Uh, For our radio and podcast listeners, those of you who are joining us after the fact on the podcast today, we're going to continue with Father Wade on the importance of names and what's in a name. And then we're going to wrap up with Father David Skillman. We'll take another look at St. John Paul II's first encyclical, The Redeemer of Man. it's all ahead on the show, but first let's go to Mike Roberts to find out what is in store weatherwise today and a little bit about our saint of the day. He's one of, or she is one of Mike Roberts' favorites. Today is the feast day of St. Maria Faustina Kowalska. Born in Poland in 1905, her baptismal name was Helen, and from the age of seven, she heard the Lord calling her to a special and unique mission. Although they would later think much differently, her parents were not in favor of their daughter joining a religious community. But the Lord was more than just a little persistent. When she was 18 and out with her sister at a dance, Jesus suddenly appeared to her, looking as he did during his passion, and said, How long will you keep putting me off? Immediately, she left the dance, packed, took a train to Warsaw, and there found the Blessed Mother who guided her to a nearby village, and through a priest, she found a woman who gave her a place to stay for over a year. In 1925, she joined the Congregation of the Sisters of Mercy and took the name Sister Maria of the Blessed Sacrament. The Lord would guide Sister constantly. He told her he wanted her to keep a diary, which she did, and which you can buy today at any Catholic bookstore. In the diary of Faustina, she describes being shown heaven, hell. She sees the Blessed Mother, her guardian angel, St. Michael, St. Therese of Lisieux, but mostly and over and over again. She hears, sees, and is directed by Jesus. In 1930, she was sent to Prague after the first signs of an illness that would later be diagnosed as tuberculosis. And there, Jesus appears to her and says, 
paint an image according to the pattern which you see with the signature, Jesus, I trust in you. Jesus also told Sister Faustina he wanted a feast of divine mercy to be celebrated on the first Sunday after Easter so that all sinners would know they could come home. Three years later, the first image was painted. In 1933, she was sent to Vilnius, where she met Father Michael Sapaco, who would later become her spiritual director and advocate. On Good Friday, 1935, Jesus told St. Faustina the image of divine mercy should be publicly honored, and it was on the first Sunday after Easter. In September of 1935, Jesus gave Sister a new prayer, the Chaplet of Mercy, and told her that he wanted this prayer said at the bedside of someone dying, and he would defend them. After a lengthy struggle with her health, St. Faustina died on this day in 1938. Although the message of divine mercy was accepted in her lifetime and afterwards, it was suppressed for quite a while beginning in 1959. With the help of Father Sapaco, Archbishop Carol Wojtyla, and a newly discovered document, several in fact, along with better translations of her diary, the ban was lifted in 1978. She was beatified in 1993 and canonized in 2000 by Pope St. John Paul II. The Blessed Mother once told St. Faustina, Tell souls to appeal to my son's merciful heart while it is still the time for granting mercy. St. Maria Faustina Kowalska, please pray for us. I'm meteorologist Mike Roberts for Covenant Network. Have a blessed day. Saint of the Day can arrive each morning by subscribing on your favorite podcast player. Search Covenant Network to see all our podcasts. Daily Offering God the Father, I thank Thee for creating me. God the Son, I thank Thee for redeeming me. God the Holy Spirit, I thank Thee for sanctifying me. Infuse into my thoughts, words, and actions thy grace, so that they may be supernaturally pleasing to thee and supernaturally rewarding to me forever. O blessed Trinity, abundantly assist me in becoming that which thou intended me to become when thou created me. For in thy perfection I will give thee the glory thou desirest of me, and in that perfection I will find my greatest joy in heaven. Amen. Well, all week long, we have been talking about what's in a name with Father Wade Menezes. Today, we're going to wrap up that conversation. And for those of you that like to listen to the Roadmap to Heaven podcast tomorrow, we'll bring you that entire conversation on our podcast in one place so you don't have to jump from episode to episode to episode. But in the meantime, this morning, this Thursday morning, let's go back in as we pick up with Father Wade on the importance of names and also the question, are there any names? that are prohibited. Let's give a listen. You know, Adam, uh, in this whole talk about the importance of Catholic theology and, and the importance of naming a child and, and the virtue that's that dwells there and everything it means, uh, the church also gives us the guidance on what not to name your child. And yeah. that's really just as important. So I kind of want to go through that. I, I was going to church... ask you, are, are there rules, you know, we, we, we've talked about the sacred nature of names, but are there any names that are expressly prohibited? You know, choose any name you want, except these. Yeah, well, yeah, the, the, the church definitely gives us some guidance, uh, especially canon law. Uh, it says, number 855 of canon law says, parents, sponsors, and the pastor are to take care that a name foreign to a Christian sensibility is not given. And some names are so offensive to Christian decency that if chosen by the parents, the sacrament of baptism is actually to be deferred. 
uh, until the parents can change the chosen name of the child from the one that was objectionable. So objectionable names, examples of such uh, included are those for the devil, such as Satan, Lucifer, or Beelzebul, uh, and the names for pagan gods like Baal or Baal uh, or Molech. Uh, also to be excluded are, are names that are cuss words and derogatory slang terms, huh? Uh, so here's the deal again, I, and I can't stress this enough. But the birth of a child is a miraculous gift from Almighty God, and the selection of a faith-based name honors God and offers him thanks for the gift of a new life. So remember, the church does prohibit certain names, certain categories of names, and we need to be um, uh, very uh, conscious of that, you know. In addition to the catechism, I want to give a shout out to two great articles that I adapted this material from. What's in a name? Quite a bit, actually, is the name of the article by Matt uh, Charbonneau. Uh, that can be found at media.ascensionpress.com, back from 2020. And also, What's in a Name? by Father Michael Van Sloan from thecatholicspirit.com, and that's from November 2017. So a good synopsis, especially when we include the catechism and what it teaches in the numbered paragraphs that I gave, Adam, on, on what's in a name and why it's important for parents to uh, really relish in a joyful way in the discernment process that it takes them to pick out a name and the importance that it really does glorify God. And the middle names included here, and also the confirmation yeah. name. Well, well, circling back to that confirmation name and that evening at the Wright Institute for Theological Discourse, as we oh, lovingly he, has refer he to it. A name? <laughs> well, has he, he hasn't yet, name? but he did. Okay. He did ask me. He said, "Dad, do you have any advice on what I should look for in a name?" And I said, "Well, you know, James." If Father Wade was with us, he would say, just as the saints were the contemporaries of their time, we are the contemporaries of our time, and we are called to be saints just like they were called to be saints. So I right. would suggest as you look through all of these different names, if you find a particular saint who resonates with you, you say, you know, I, I think I might have a lot in common with this saint, and you read some more about them— that's a saint you should pay attention to their name because that's a prime candidate. Other advice I gave him, look at saints whose feast days are relative to your life. Whose feast day is on your birthday? That's your homework. Go look that up. Yeah. And not just for my son, but for everybody watching and listening today. Who, whose saint is celebrated on your birthday? What about on your baptismal day? What is an activity you like to do? Maybe you like to play sports or you like to build. Who's the patron saint of your sport or of the profession you think you might want to go into in life? I said, those are all arrows pointing you to where you should look for a name for your confirmation name. Great. Fantastic advice from a dad, Adam. I, I commend you. Uh, and remember, too, uh, I, I like that you mentioned the different categories of professions because there are patron saints of different professions. You know, St. Thomas More for lawyers, for example. And that's very important. Let's not forget the category of martyrs, mm. those who died for the faith, like St. Sebastian and St. Agnes. Uh, St. John the Baptist uh, died for natural marriage, as did uh, St. Thomas More. Uh, so we, we have the, the whole host of martyrs, as well as uh, confessors, virgins, priests, consecrated religious that are canonized, all these different categories that are shown in the in the in the uh, breviary, the divine office, we have the commons in the back. So commons of virgins, commons of priests, commons of martyrs, all these different categories of, of saints that are canonized. Uh, and, and there's just a whole plethora of, of names to choose from. 
and, and we should never get overwhelmed by it because God will guide you through that process. Uh, Adam, can you say one more time, what is what is the name of the institute that's, that is your dining <laughs> we, we, we call it the Wright Institute for Theological Discourse, where we have covered everything from the four last things to Mary's assumption to confirmation names uh, to what they heard Great. at Mass that day. There is no wrong question. We just sometimes have to look for correct answers. And, and it's great to pull out the catechism or the scriptures with the kids and really dive into some of these things. And I have been known from time to time to say, you know, I don't know how to answer that, but if we play the Roadmap to Heaven podcast, I did an interview with somebody that does. So let's just hear what they had to say. It's it's a perk of being the uh, radio slash podcast host. Well, well, I'll tell you what, calling your dining room table that is definitely an image for me of the Domestica Ecclesia, the domestic church, yeah. you know, yeah. the right yeah. institute for theological discourse. Talk about having the the domestic church alive and breathing. There it is right there in your dining room. Yes, and, and, and just as the bishop of the diocese has his cathedra, I think every father has his chair in the dining room, and you yeah, may only right. sit there with his permission. So, well, yeah, there you go. Father, as we wrap up, you know I'm going to ask you to lead us in prayer here, but I, I think it's another important reminder of something you said, that at baptism and in confirmation uh, and all of the sacraments, and every time we pray, we pray in the name of, of the Father yeah. and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And I think that's a really good reminder that when we go out and live the day, uh, if, if we pray in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and then deny that with our lifestyle, what a great insult that is to the holy name of God. Yeah, you know, Jesus revealed the Father. Jesus revealed the Holy Spirit by name. Jesus was revealed by name, a name that his parents gave him. Uh, and so we we are baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit with that first given name uh, and the middle name uh, can be inserted as well at the time of one's baptism. So so all these beautiful, beautiful truths are linked, Adam, there's no doubt. And uh, it, it's it's so important because, again, our name goes with us, as the catechism teaches, into eternity for all eternity. Well, on that note, Father, let's pray and close our time together. Certainly, Adam. May the blessing of Almighty God, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, descend upon all of our covenant network and roadmap to heaven listeners and remain with each and every one of you this day and always. St. Joseph, terror of demons. Pray for us. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you so much, Adam, for this wonderful opportunity. It was fun. No, thank you, Father, for uh, acquiescing to our request to talk about names today on the show. And uh, I look forward to the next time we can be together. Thank you so much now. God bless you. What a great conversation that was with Father Wade. I was so happy to be able to tape that. And like I said, we'll be bringing you on the podcast the full version of that interview tomorrow. Uh, we're going to take a break here. Here's a little Matthew West. And when we come back, Father David Skillman will be with us. A prayer to St. Joseph. O blessed Joseph, faithful guardian of my Redeemer, Jesus Christ, protector of thy chaste spouse, the Virgin Mother of God, I choose thee this day to be my special patron and advocate, and I firmly resolve to honor thee all the days of my life. Therefore, I humbly beseech thee to receive me as thy client, to instruct me in every doubt, to comfort me in every affliction to obtain for me and for all the knowledge and love of the heart of Jesus. 
and finally to defend and protect me at the hour of my death. Amen. You knew he was going to be back with us. Father David Stillman is with us on Roadmap to Heaven today as we continue to dive into St. John Paul II's first encyclical, Redemptor Holiness, the Redeemer of Man. Father, it's great to have you back with us today. Thanks. It's good to be here again. Now, I have to tell you, last week we were talking about this theme of inheritance, which we're going to keep talking about today. And I, I thought of something. Pius Twelfth and the proclamation, the infallible proclamation of the dogma of the Immaculate Conception. Not a new thing that Pius XII said, you know, I had this great idea last night, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to proclaim this dogma infallibly. Really something that the church has understood since the beginning of the church in some way or another that tradition has held. And yet it was Pius XII that said, yeah, infallibly, we proclaim. I, I love he uses the papal we, uh, speaking on behalf of not only himself, but his predecessors and the whole church. And as we talk about inheritance and understanding and we continue to journey with St. John Paul II, I thought that was a really good starting point to say, okay, it's it's not anything new, but maybe just a new way of proclaiming the message. Right. And, and in God's providence, this is the moment, you know, for this to be kind of definitively um, declared and defined and, and formalized at this moment in history. You know? As if the Church is saying, we've been thinking about this for quite some time, and, <laughs> yes. and, and we know now. We are ready yeah. to say with certainty. Right. Yeah. yeah, and again, this is exactly how then St. John Paul II is beginning his pontificate, right? He's he's saying, for two almost 2,000 years, you know, the Church has brought us to this point. And so let's let's look at what we've inherited, and now let's move forward in faith and in, in, with trust in the Holy Spirit, which is where we left off last time. And, and now um, that's precisely the title of the next section, paragraph three of the encyclical, Trust in the Spirit of Truth and of Love. And we're going to see what he does now is he focuses in for a few pages here in his encyclical, particularly on Pope, now St. Paul VI. And um, he says about the person of Paul VI in this section, I was constantly amazed at his profound wisdom and his courage, and also by his constancy and patience in the difficult post-conciliar period of his pontificate. As helmsman of the church, the bark of Peter, he knew how to preserve a providential tranquility and balance, even in the most critical moments when the church seemed to be shaken from within, and he always maintained unhesitating hope in the church's solidity. This is uh, really interesting that, to me that he's speaking quite frankly about the tumultuous period of the church after the Second Vatican Council, um, which in some ways we're kind of still in that. You know, the church is still wrestling with many of these questions and debates. Um, but he speaks of his admiration for the gift that Paul VI was. You have a sense just to him personally even, but also to the whole church by the way that he he was this, I love those words, tranquility and balance, you know, in the midst of the turmoil and the confusion and maybe the fear, whatever it may be, he was this source of tranquility and balance within the church and hope. I love, I mean, that's such a key virtue, I think, hope, especially in those stormy times, you know, hope is the, the virtue that keeps us, keeps our eyes fixed on, on the goal and fills us with the confident trust that the Lord is going to get us there. Um, so just to see him speak about this 
in a sense, part of the inheritance that he's received now as Pope is the not just the teaching, but the, the example of Paul VI and how he has conducted himself as Pope as bringing this tranquility and balance to the Church um, in this time, this critical moment. He uses that word, these critical moments. Um, and, and that's really funny because I think today there are many of us saying we are at a critical moment mm-hmm. right now and that there, as, as you mentioned, there there's still a lot of tumult and uh, imbalance in how we are understanding things and how we are endeavoring to understand things. And and we get worried and we say, what's going to happen if, if, if this goes this way or goes that way? And then I have to stop and, and step back and say, you know, in the life of the church, we've been doing this for quite a bit. You know, we've had our various ecumenical consuls always answering perhaps a question of a certain heresy. Um, tumult and, and the waters rocking the boat are not new in the life of the church and uh, the great this is a really great reminder for us like, calm down okay you know our lord will calm the waters we may not feel it immediately we may not see it immediately but we've got a deposit of faith that we can cling to in all of this yeah and you even get a sense he does not say this explicitly necessarily but that he has this confidence too that well paul the 6th is no longer the the pope on earth that he's still interceding for the church you know, that there's still a, please God, and now we know Paul VI is in heaven, he's been canonized a saint, but he had this sense that, you know, he's not alone, that he had this example from Paul VI, and that Paul VI continues to care for the church now before God's throne in heaven, and we can say the same thing now about John Paul II, right? Like, some people maybe think, you know, well, John Paul II was this source of stability and, 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 um, firmness, if you will, in, in the midst of the storms. And maybe we, some people feel like, well, we don't have that anymore. Well, John Paul II is still caring for the church. You yeah, know? He, he hasn't left us. He's Absolutely. just taken a new post. Yeah. And I remember Pope Benedict, when he resigned the pontificate, you know, he said, I'm not, I'm not just totally casting off my responsibility for the church, but I'm going to dedicate myself to prayer for the church. Uh, so I'm still carrying on, if you will, that responsibility for the church. And we, we, we shouldn't forget that the, the popes who are now in heaven continue to to watch over and care for the church. Now, we're going to get into something written a little over 40 years ago, but something, again, talk about relevant today, this balance between truth and love, because we often find ourselves as, as Catholics boldly speaking truth and then having the retort be, how dare you say that? That is so unloving. Why don't you love me? And, and we're trying to say, well, actually, we do love you, and that's why we're telling you the truth. And this is—sometimes it can feel like a high-wire act, trying to walk this balance of how do we proclaim the truth with love? Yeah, so I'll read this little passage. This section, again, is called Trust in the Spirit of Truth and of Love. And he writes this, The Church's consciousness, which I would read as kind of that idea of understanding the truth, our consciousness is our understanding of the truth, enlightened and supported by the Holy Spirit— and fathoming more and more deeply both her divine mystery and her human mission, and even her human weaknesses, this consciousness is and must remain the first source of the church's love, as love in turn helps to strengthen and deepen her consciousness. So there's this kind of symbiosis between truth and love. As as the church deepens her understanding of what is true, she's filled with a greater and greater love, and that love then inspires a deeper um, drive, if you will, to understand 
and deepen the the truth, our understanding of of the truth. And um, St. John Paul is, again, upholding Paul VI as a model of this. He speaks of him as having an intrepid love for the church, a beautiful phrase, which he demonstrated even through suffering. And again, that's an important lesson for us today to, to learn that love and truth go together, that these things aren't um, in competition, but then in fact they feed one another, you know, and when we understand the truth, it fills us with an even deeper love and a desire for others to know the truth and to live the truth. Um, but then that love also kind of fills us with a desire to go deeper, right, to learn more, to understand even better the truth. I think of two very brief quotes from sacred scripture, one from the gospel and one from the first letter of St. John. But our Lord's saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So we often ask that question, what is truth, when really we should be asking that question, who mm-hmm. is truth? And and we just had the answer to that. But then that, that passage I always come back to in First John, beloved, let us love one another because God loves us first, and God is love. Mm-hmm. You know, First John hits at that theme all the time that God is love. Well, if if God is love and and God is truth, then truth and love are indeed the same person. And uh, it blows my mind sometimes. It's like we're thinking in these concepts of how am I treating people or what am I believing. It's like no, this is an endeavor to get to know God right deeply and intimately. Right. Yeah. And we love one another precisely because we find in one another, the image of God, right? And one whom God loved enough to create and redeem. So there's always this connection between our love of God and our love of our neighbor. Yeah. yeah. Now we're going to wrap up this section talking about how uh, St. John Paul II concludes the section. And as a father, I have to tell you, this really strikes me, that this idea. He, he concludes by referring to the intrepid love for the church with St. Paul VI demonstrated um, because as a father, I love my kids, and I love the times that I get to hug them, and we have fun, and we are just having a delightful time. But sometimes love is very difficult. Love is mm-hmm. saying no. Love is enduring their tears. Why do you have to be so mean? Why do you have to do this? Why do you make us do that? And it's because I love you, and I want you to be the best person that you are called to be. Love is very tough sometimes. Right, yeah, and he point he speaks of this suffering of Paul the Sixth. One moment that comes to my mind that others have spoken about is um, his encyclical on uh, human life, Humanae Vitae, the Church's teaching on contraception and natural family planning. Paul the Sixth suffered a lot, agonizing over that document, but he held firm. You know, he didn't allow the suffering to defeat him, but instead he saw the suffering that he suffered at the denial of the teaching or the the refusal to receive that teaching. He saw that as something he could offer, you know, something that he, a way he could unite himself to the cross. And it was a sign of that intrepid love of his for the church. And I think a great lesson we can learn from that is going, again, going back to this balance of truth and love and the tranquility and balance that you mentioned earlier. When we detach from this idea that we want to get through life without any suffering, you know, and, and we could dive into another document he wrote, Salvifici Dolores, yes. on the, the Christian meaning of human suffering. Um, when we detach from that suffering and just endeavor to know truth and to know love, as we said, to know God, it's a lot easier to do all of this. It's a lot easier to say, all right, we're going to stand by the truth, 
even when it's difficult. Uh, going back to that analogy of me being a father and my children, I, it's almost as if the children of the church and many of them threw a temper tantrum with Paul VI when he right. promulgated Humani Vitae, and yet he held firm and he said, no, the truth is the truth, and we do not abdicate our responsibility to it. Right, and I'm willing to suffer for it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Great lesson for us. We're, we got, we have to be ready to suffer for the truth. Father, could I ask you to close us out with a prayer this week? Yes. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask you to fill us with that intrepid love for the Church, which so filled St. Paul VI and St. John Paul II, that we might always seek to grow in the spirit of truth and of love. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, until next week, Father David Skillman, it's been a joy to have you with us talking about St. John Paul II and Redemptor Hominis. We will be back after this break. A prayer to the Archangel Gabriel. O blessed Archangel Gabriel, we beseech thee, do thou intercede for us at the throne of divine mercy in our present necessities that, as thou didst announce to Mary the mystery of the Incarnation, so through thy prayers and patronage in heaven, we may obtain the benefits of the same and sing the praise of God forever in the land of the living. Amen. Are you enjoying this podcast? Well, if you are, did you know that Covenant Network offers great programming 24 hours a day on 43 stations in five states, plus streaming online? You can find our schedule, your local station, or listen online at www.ourcatholicradio.org. That's O-U-R catholicradio.org. Here we are on Thursday, and it's time for another Daily Dose of Encouragement with Patty Schneier. And once again this week, we continue to look at the joyful mysteries in perhaps a new way. Well, again, I'm sharing these reflections that came from Sherry Antonetti that were in the National Catholic Register, and they were presented at a retreat where I spoke in Jefferson City, and I found them to just be beautiful. And I just wanted to share them with all of you during October, the month of the rosary. So the fourth joyful mystery, we're unpacking the joyful mysteries this week, is the presentation. Here's the reflection. When Mary and Joseph present Jesus in the temple— Mary must contend with the prophecy of Simeon. This child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul. These words hardly bring comfort. They are tough words to hear. And yet knowing that Jesus is the Christ allows her to keep in her heart this prophecy and knowing that one day her heart, like Christ himself, will be pierced. Maybe you are facing a bad diagnosis or a hard piece of news. In that very moment of receiving hard news, pray for the grace to ponder Mary. She took that news into her heart and trusted God's goodness, showing us again and again and again how to go forward and how to face what is to come. That's the message of this mystery. Tough news, but when we trust God, we can go forward. Another great dose of encouragement for us as we continue to reflect upon the joyful mysteries. Patty, thank you for sharing these with us.
Anyone who is a homeowner or who has ever waited for a repair technician, an installer, I think can sympathize with that portion of the gospel where our Lord says, you do not know the day or the hour. And, you know, today for me, that's one of those things. We're, we're waiting for somebody to come do some work. And we thought they were coming at one hour. And now the question is, do we know the day and the hour? And, well, quite frankly, the answer is no. But, you know, once again, life is full of these little things pointing us right back to what our Lord's saying in the gospel. And I think as we approach First Friday and First Saturday devotions at the end of this week, you know, tomorrow and Saturday, especially that call to conversion that we heard in our first segment this morning on the radio program here about what awaits at the end of this life and do we want to go to heaven or do we want to go to hell? So uh, we may not know the hour that the repair person or the installer is going to come, but we do know the hours that the Sacrament of Reconciliation is available in our parish churches. And since we don't know the day or the hour that, you know, we're going to meet the end of this earthly life, Maybe we should be making use of those hours much more frequently than we are. And it's also a good reminder for me, I, I need to do a better job of encouraging friends to avail themselves of so wonderful a sacrament, the Sacrament of Reconciliation. You know, it's not like you can just jump right in and say, you should go to confession. You know, as much as I want to with some people, say, you need to go to confession. Uh, finding that way to to help lead them to that and just asking our Lord for the grace to be an instrument he might use to bring them to conversion, but also remembering that each and every day it starts with me. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Mary, Mother of the Rosary, pray for us. St. Joseph, terror of demons, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, thank you so much for spending your morning commute with us here on Roadmap to Heaven. Those of you taking the kids to school, they're probably already there. Heading into the office, heading to Daily Mass, it's always a joy to spend the morning with you, especially those of you that go to 6.30 Mass, like Pat, who I, I'm privileged to see from time to time. and says, I always listen to you. I come out of 6.30 Mass at my parish and pray the morning offering with you. Well, we love having you with us as well. Thanks for tuning in. I'll be back with you tomorrow morning. Until then, for all of us here at Covenant Network, I'm Adam Wright. Thanks for listening to Roadmap to Heaven. Do not forget to pray your rosary today.